This podcast is brought to you by the film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn with an incredible ensemble that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, and Whoopi Goldberg. Ezra is a funny and endearing story about Max, a divorced father struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When faced with difficult decisions about the future, they embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love. In theaters May 31st. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of four, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. We're going to be excited to talk this week with Meredith Monday-Schwartz, who some of our listeners probably know from her Penelope Loves Lists days. Uh, we have a lot of people who are sort of the Penelope Loves Lists kind of <laughs> readers in our in our, our listeners. But she's uh, now running a company called Here Comes the Guide. We're going to be talking with her on uh, managing remote and flexible uh, workers, how you can manage a workforce that way and be the kind of boss that um, lots of people who want flexible work would love to work for. So we're very excited about that. But speaking of work, we are recording this on March 6th, and Sarah went back to work yesterday. Sarah, how did it go? Well, first, let me note that that means I'm off the day after I started back at work. <laughs> so good. good schedule. When- wasn't my initial plan. I had planned to be off on Wednesday, but then I had been invited to a meeting that I absolutely have to go to on Wednesday. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to take the day off after my first day because I'm probably going to need to breathe. And I'm actually really glad I did that. I'm not going to say it was traumatic, but it's, it is stressful going back 
after a hiatus like that. Yeah. But I would say on the whole, it went well. I didn't fall behind with my patients. I think I have one note that I have to write today. I had a nearly full schedule. They had told me that they were going to put half the number of my usual patients in, but <laughs> that never, it never it's fine. I knew it wasn't going to happen. I looked at my schedule the day before I went, <laughs> yeah, I know. And yeah, I saw like one less than my normal number. And I was able to pump more than um, Genevieve drank. So that's, you know, always a big win. The only negative is that I was so tired by the end of the day. I literally could not read my kids story. I was stumbling on the words and it was 8.15. I was like, Annabelle, I actually can't read this anymore. I have to just lie down on this couch and you're going to fall asleep. And they did. And that's because the baby Genevieve had gotten up at midnight and then like 3.45. And A, I had a lot of anxiety going into my first day. And B, I was like, well, my first morning pump is where I get most of my milk. How am I possibly going to do this? I can't go back to bed at like 4 you know, it was like 4am after I had fed her because by the time that happens, that means I won't have time to pump before I leave. And so I'm stuck pumping at 4am. So I did. So I was basically up from 3.45 on, um, on a very stressful day. So, wow, that took a lot out of me, but I'm, I recovered overnight last night and hopefully, you know, normally her morning wake up is more like closer to five, which is much more doable. So hopefully she just won't pull that again. Yeah. yeah. But the day went all right. You're, you're feeling good. It did. And I will say I did a few little hacks to help with that. Um, it wasn't really my first day in the office because I actually on Friday decided I would kind of set up my little pumping studio and bring Genevieve in to say hi to everybody. Friday afternoons tend to be a little bit more, actually a lot more relaxed because a lot of people are not seeing out patients. They're just kind of checking up on stuff. So I figured it was the perfect time to just show up, get all my hugs out of the way. I mean, not out of the way, but really re, you know, reconnect with people so that I wouldn't have to you know, I could really focus on work my actual first day, knowing that I'd be much more time crunched. I ordered a cube fridge for my office, which actually fit in perfectly. So I'm able to just throw my milk in there rather than running all the way back to the office fridge um, when I'm pumping. So that's helpful. And yeah, I think that was, you know, even though it's kind of sad to spend one of your last days at the office, it was 100% worth it. I would highly recommend that for anybody going back, especially if they know that their first day is not going to be just a, a light day. Um, those of us in medicine, you know, in other industries, they'd probably say, oh, you know, we will just keep it light. It's it's just, they're just going to give you patients because their patients have been waiting for you to come back. And it's probably not even going to be the low maintenance patients. It's going to be the patients who are waiting, who are like, I need to be seeing the first, you know, first day she's back. First available opportunity. And actually I had wonderful patients yesterday. So that was a plus, but I'm glad I did that prep work. It would have been a disaster without it. Yeah, that if you had been trying to fit in all those nice conversations of, oh, how are you? How's the baby? While you were also on a full patient load on day one. Absolutely. It would have been been tough. And I actually think the idea of not having a full week back that first week has some upsides too. Like if it is possible to, I mean, I know you want to, especially if people have sort of shorter maternity leaves, you're you're not going to want to play around with it too much. But just the idea of maybe starting on a, Thursday or something. Yeah, I've actually, yeah, starting on a Thursday or Friday is a great option. Um, or yeah, saving a couple of days so that you can, you know, do a slightly lighter first week um, would make sense for a lot of people. For me, since I work four days, I can kind of naturally make that happen anyway. But I really, the, today is really nice. I, I needed to recover after that kind of rush of anxiety and emotions and, and all that. But now you're back in and, and you're... I'm back in and I've, I've left, you know, one day at a time. I missed the, I, miss, I did miss the baby. I mean, I, there's something about, you know, we talk about how like, it's true. She doesn't care probably nearly as much as my older kids um, would care. 
there's probably just some hormonal mechanism that makes you very sad to leave your baby. But she also was fine tonight and fine this morning. And I'm lucky to have weekends and an extra day with her for the most part. So. And she did well with bottles and everything. Oh, yeah. she. Lo- I knew. Yeah. <laughs> you knew she would be fine. My kids love bottles. They don't even, I don't you know, they, they talk about like, you need to give them a bottle so they'll get used to it. And all three of mine, like the first time they met a bottle, they were like, this is the best ever. It's more the, I get paranoid about them not wanting me after the bottle, but that's another story. I am so glad that <laughs> day one went back, that it went well. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Onward from there. All right. Well, we're excited to be talking with Meredith, so we'll go ahead and start that interview. Well, we're very excited to welcome Meredith Monday Schwartz to Best of Both Worlds. So Meredith, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit about you, your family, and your career history? Excellent. I would love to. So I am... A mom of four. We have three kids who are much older. In fact, they're a lot of, we have a blended family. So we have 28, 20, almost 23, almost 19. And then my husband and I have our son together who is six. So we are kind of doing that, you know, blended family thing. We have kids in every single stage, which is always exciting. And then I am also the CEO of a wedding website, a wedding resource website called Here Comes the Guide. And I've actually been there for 20 years this year. Wow. And and so you started that up right as the whole wedding industry was moving online then. It actually, our founder started it in 1989. So well before there was okay. even an internet. And so um, I joined in actually 1997. And that was the year that we started the website component of what we do. Yeah. So we've been doing this for a really, really long time. And we've certainly seen all the different iterations of kind of online presences and, um, you know, the social media and all of that. Yes, yeah, so we've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. And so the the current business model, you said that all your employees are remote. So how does that, how does that work? What does that even look like? So it's interesting. So yeah, we had an office in Berkeley, California for the first, what, 29 years of our, com- our company. And then when we bought at our founder, we really took a hard look. It was one of those things we were looking at every single dollar spent, every single dollar earned. And we just looked at our actual physical office. And we said, geez, we've grown to a point where well over half of us are spread across the country. So we're going to go ahead and just give a try to being a fully distributed team. And it has been so wonderful. Now, this was a long, slow process. So I don't, I think one of the things that we really did right was we didn't try to do this overnight because that would be a huge logistical issue. And I think it would also be a cultural issue if you tried to do it really, really quickly. But we, over the course of probably four years previous to the actual official get rid of the office moment, we had been moving with that idea in mind. And so we had been slowly moving from everyone, you know, all of us who were in Berkeley being in the office five days a week to four to three to two. And then for the whole year previous to making the move, we only were in the office one day a week. And so that gave us the ability to take a lot of our systems and begin to move them away from the physical office. And so once we actually had most of that down, there were two pieces that kind of sealed the deal for us. One of which is we moved to a voice over IP system for our phones and uh, we use a tool called Dialpad. And so that enables us to literally work from 
call and receive calls, not only from anywhere, but from any of our devices, our computer, our cell phones, all of that. Tremendous flexibility. And then the super fun piece of what we started using, which I wasn't exactly sure was going to go over as well as it did, but man, it's changed everything for us. It's a piece of software and you know that you can download online called Sococo. And it's a virtual office and you can design your sort of virtual office and you it's like you're looking at an overhead of an office. Like you're looking at an office from above, right? And so you can see as people log on, you can see their little avatar in their office and you can very quickly text message with someone. You can very quickly video conference. Literally within three seconds, I can quote unquote knock on the door of any of my coworkers. We can pop in if we're available and we're looking and speaking to each other via video as if we were just in the next room. That is so cool. That's like a second life for SimCity and you're like at work. You must feel like you're there. Does it feel like that? It it does feel like that. And I think we were expecting to get a lot of the actual concrete benefits, right? Of the video, you know, quick video conferencing and all of that good stuff. What we weren't expecting was that having the virtual office would give us the feeling of being together. Because sometimes just glancing, you know, when you work from home all day, it can be awesome. And it can also be isolating. And just being able to see all the little happy avatars at their desks and being, you know, being able to say, oh, there's Shannon over there in South Carolina and there's Lisa and she's in Texas. It And then knowing that you're literally seconds away from not only two of you talking, but we have full staff meetings. All 23 of us can physically see each other. And I, I think it makes a difference in any, you know, group of people who are, you know, in contact with each other. But I think especially in a group of women, being able to have conversations where we can see each other every day, it really adds to the fabric of the relationship. So we do a lot of our meetings that way. But very frankly, I encourage a lot of just random, like, knock on the door, hop in and check how, you know, like just today out of 23 of us, I think four of us have kids who are homesick with the virus of some sort. So we're all checking in with each other. How's this little one doing? How's that little one doing? So a lot of times our connections are not necessarily hardcore work related, but it it again increases that fabric, that, that, that sisterhood culture that I think is absolutely the secret to our success. Here comes the guide. Well, let's talk about that sisterhood because you hired for that, right? I mean, that was part of how you built this out. A hundred percent. When I took over the company in 2007, I absolutely knew the exact kind of company that I wanted to build. I knew the kind of people who I wanted on my team. And I knew that it was going to be super important in having a group of women work together. There were a couple things that were absolutely non-negotiable. And the biggest thing was that our first core value is the sisterhood first always. And what that means to us is it has to be a group of people who care more about the team than they care about themselves individually. And it has to be a group of people who are zero drama. There's no room for any kind of drama or clickiness or backstabbing or even letting kind of stuff fester. Because if you do that, you guys know that it's a super slippery slope. So I, to your point, I hired and it's really important to me. And one of the the roles that I maintain as CEO, and I will continue to maintain this, uh, you know, hiring and then also maintaining that culture and maintaining that 
no drama policy. And so we have a great team and we seriously believe that because we have that strong sisterhood, that it enables us to do our work better, not just oh, you know, it's fun and we want to braid each other's hair, but literally it helps us to be a more profitable company. Braiding each other's hair virtually is going to be an interesting experience, but uh, you can yeah. tell us about that because uh, the hi- hiring is very hard to get right. Um, and for anyone who's who's done it, they know that. Um, so I'm, I'm curious how you can select in the hiring process or what you ask or what you look for in order to get people who are no drama. Um, And also, of course, because you are virtual people who are self-starters, people who are self-motivated, who who don't actually need someone looking over them to make sure that everything's getting done. Absolutely. So we have, I have another website that's called Penelope Loves Lists. And the, the sort of thought behind that website is that a Penelope is a type of person. And I bring this up because that type of person, type A, super organized, you know, kind of, you know, I guess a a sort of old fashioned word people would call them like anal or, you know, whatever that, that kind (laughs) of, that kind of person is definitely who I'm hiring for. And so what I'm looking for is I'm looking for someone who's super detail oriented and that's important to our work. I'm looking for someone who's incredibly organized in her systems, in her thoughts, uh, keeps a lot of lists, you know, some of for whom being organized is really the lifeline. And that makes a big difference in our business to doing this particular kind of job really well. And most importantly, and this goes to the point of managing a remote team, I'm looking for someone, it's a little controversial, but I am hiring and I interview to hear someone who is harder on themselves than I could ever be. (laughs) We call that the insecure overachiever, by the way. (laughs) And that is a perfect way to describe the Penelope personality. And so it's not to say that I want to foster any kind of insecurity, but I really believe that this, this is a type of person. This is a person who's, who was like this when they were little and they're going to be like this until they're old. And there's, you know, there's some tools and strategies that we can use to maintain, you know, make sure we're super healthy emotionally around it. But at the very base, we all have to care about our own, our own work more than caring what a manager thinks or more than caring about a financial goal. And if, if I can find those people, and so far I, I have, I've been really lucky to be able to find those people. I find that for our team, that's what works really, really well. Because I can't teach somebody how to care. I can't teach someone to care at a visceral level. But when you find this particular kind of person, I don't have to teach them because they care to a fault. Are all of your empl- are you familiar with Gretchen Rubin's tendencies? Are these all upholders? And is there any problem that you see sometimes where people do think too much alike like or do you think they're diverse in other ways so you've that's exactly a fantastic point that you bring up because i am obsessed with gretchen rubin i am obsessed with the four (laughs) tendencies and actually the four tendencies quiz is one of the three personality tests that we have every new employee take and so what's interesting is that in fact we only out of 23 of us we only have three upholders on staff i'm one of those um the that and then then the rest of everybody are divided pretty equally between obligers and questioners and to your point i 100% think if it was all a if it was all upholders we would not be well served 
by that. But the yeah. mix, the mix of questioners, obligers, and upholders, there are no rebels. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not to say that, of course, rebels can't be incredibly successful. I just am not sure that this maybe is the the exact right kind of fit, but we'll see. Maybe I'll be surprised in the future. But yes, the, I think that the tendencies come into play big time. And I think that mix of those personality types keeps us from being, although we all have a certain set of ways in which we are similar, I think that mix keeps us from being overly homogenous. So I'd love to talk a little bit about the practicalities of managing, you know, remote and flexible workers. Um, I mean, one thing I've heard of heard from other bosses with this situation is having very clear guidelines, you know, on, on what people are trying to achieve, because then you, you can't be there monitoring what they're doing. So you have very clear guidelines on what you need to achieve, but that you also need to be careful, especially if you've got a lot of people who are, you know, obligers in the sense that you have to set some limits on remote work because, um, I mean, technically, you could be on all the time. Like, you know, Sarah comes to an office and she leaves at some point, right, when she's done with her work. But if you are, you know, working remotely, like the emails can happen at any point, the, you know, IMs can happen at any point. So I'm curious how you both set guidelines and then also how you help people still balance their lives. Absolutely. I think that's an excellent question. So I think it starts with setting our expectations, exactly what you're saying. I think it's really important that, you know, I and my CEO are, or my COO are really clear about what we expect big picture, but also quarterly, monthly, weekly, daily, that level of communication is absolutely key. So it starts with that. One of the things that as far as how we are aware of what's going on, we have a couple layers of awareness. One of those is at the end of every day, all of our employees send a short, it really is short. It's a, it's a few bullet points, but we call them an end of day. And basically it's just a short overview of, of what it is that they worked on. And we can also, there are several other metrics that we can check, but the majority of the time that gives us a really, really good sense. And then we meet with each of our employees, the director, they meet with their direct report, you know, at least every other week, if not, you know, every week, depending on how long they've been with the company. So again, a lot of exchange of information. And then we also meet quarterly to do what we call a quarterly check-in, which is, um, you know, where we have a one-on-one -on -one with each employee to really talk through, okay, what did this last quarter look like? What were we hoping to accomplish? What did the, what was super important for the employee to accomplish? Are there things that she wanted to move forward on? You know, and did, did that happen? Is there air cover we can provide to make that happen, you know, better going forward? And then, of course, are there any points, you know, of improvement that need to happen? So those are layers of ways that we can watch what work is happening. Of course, then we have our, our huge customer management system where we can see, you know, the, the contacts that are being made and invoices that are being made and all that good stuff. So I think there's got to be a ton of very clear communication in both directions. And then as far as to your really excellent question, how do we manage remote work? We have a very strict eight hour a day policy and we hold people to it. So we have flexible scheduling in that each employee can kind of decide, you know, for some people, for their families, it works better for them to work, say, 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. and some people like to work a little bit later. So once they choose a schedule that works best for them, we say basically pick it and stick it. 
we want people to work that eight hours and we want them to work it, you know, hard and fast. We want them to be going absolutely grinding as, you know, as much as is healthy during that period of time. And then it's got to be done for the day. You need to know I put in my best eight hours and it's going to be there tomorrow. And so we do not encourage, in fact, we actively discourage um, a situation where people are responding to emails at night, or certainly I or my, my COO would never be texting people about work at night. And I think that that's a piece of it too, is that we need to set from the management, the leadership team needs to set that part of the culture. If I am constantly saying, look, I want you to have work-life balance, but I'm texting them at nine o'clock at night, asking them a question about work. That's a dissonant message that is, you know, is, that is not going to help. And so we've just set those parameters really clearly and we live them on the daily. All right. That is awesome. Yeah. And so, and I think rare, but maybe increasing a little bit as people learn, companies learn that in order to retain mentally and physically healthy employees, we've got to create some boundaries. The, so that's fantastic. You guys are at the forefront. Yeah. I mean, the one issue of that though, I mean, I, I would say like as a working parent, I mean, I know I do often do some of the work at night after the kids go to bed because it lets me have a more reasonable life during the day. Well, are you allowed, tell us about the flexibility. Yeah. Like, would you, could you have flexibility, flexibility in any of this? Yes. So there definitely is flexibility. And I'll tell you when it really mostly comes into play, we kind of liken it to a rubber band, right? Like rubber bands are made to be stretched so that they can come back into shape. So basically, as I said, right now I have four employees, myself included, who are home working at home with our little one who would normally be at school or daycare, who's homesick. There's going to be for all of those who are in that category today, there's going to be, there's no way that we're going to be able to work that straight eight, right? Because there's just stuff that you need to do to be able to help your little one during the day. And so in this case, at night, I'm likely, they're likely to put in an hour or two, if it makes sense. If it doesn't make sense, they may just start fresh tomorrow and use some, you know, some paid time off, which is completely available to them. But if it makes sense and they want to, absolutely, you can hop on and do some of the work at night. We just want to be sure that that's not happening every single day for the slippery slope issue that you brought up. If it's an everyday occurrence, then all of a sudden, when are we working? When are we not working? But at the times where life gets in the way or you need to go to a performance, you need to go to a doctor's appointment, you need to be with your little one, that's where the flexibility really does come into play and when absolutely they can put in some hours super early, later, whatever's convenient. And you guys get together though face-to-face from time to time, right? We do. We have two off-sites are off-sites a year and we have so much fun. They actually, we do, we do some work, but we try to do some work that is different than the kind of work we normally do. So we'll try to do something super creative just so we're all working together. We're together in the same room and we're also kind of clearing our chakras, you know, hitting the reset button, freshening our minds up so that when we get back to our regular work, we're even fresher than we were before. But yes, we, we look so forward to getting together at those times because we work during the day, but then we have night, you know, we make dinner for each other at night and get massages and, you know, spend an extra day, you know, just shopping and swimming and playing together and all of that. And, um, we have had, 
you know, some of our best bonding are, you know, is, is on those trips. And so we very much look forward to them and they definitely add to our overall efficacy as a group. They sound fun. I'll come to the next one. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. You would have a blast. Oh my goodness. Laura, I definitely want to hear more work-focused questions, but I also loved Meredith's overview of her daily schedule. Why don't we get to that? So I'm wondering if we can do that. Yeah. Our listeners always love hearing people's actual logistics and what their lives look like. So, you know, we know you're trying to create a good work-life mix for the people who work for you. So let's talk about yours. Why don't you walk our our listeners through a, a normal work day? Basically, my day really starts at about 6.30, I'd say roughly, spend a little time with the husband, and then I immediately review, I grab my phone, I'm one of those, I know that we're not supposed to, but I do, I, I do definitely grab my phone, since half my staff works on the East Coast and I'm on the West Coast, it's really important to me that I just get a general sense at that time of kind of how the day is going and put out any fires, answer any quick emails um, that need to happen. And then at about 7.15, Jackson, my six-year-old, comes in and I spend a half hour with him while my husband gets up and kind of gets coffee going, gets breakfast going, feeds the animals, that kind of thing. I spend a half hour with Jackson reading. I have him read to me. He's six, so it's a really important time in his reading life. And so we spend that time together. It's been a huge benefit to his skills, but also we're getting that snuggle time, right? And so every single day I know, he knows, I know that we're going to get that that half hour of just snuggling together, doing something that we both love. So that always kind of sets my day off right. At about 7.45, I get up, I get dressed for my workout at that point, and then I go out to the kitchen and I kind of do my morning stuff, you know, my emptying the dishwasher, shining up the kitchen after breakfast, those kinds of things, make sure beds are made, I get a load of laundry in, and I feel like that is a piece that taking that time at that juncture of the morning is a piece that really helps me keep sane as far as working from home, because I feel like I kind of, you know continue to maintain control over the house and how it's looking and all of that good stuff. Then at about uh, 8.15, Johnny takes Jackson to school and I sit down with my cup of coffee and I do my morning routine, which is really just about a half hour. And I basically do a little bit of journaling. I try to journal three things I'm grateful for. And then I also try to write down, and this has been something that's been a big thing for me. I try to write down what I'm most anxious about and somehow just writing it down takes a little bit of power away from it. And that's been huge for me. And then also I sort of journal a few thoughts for the day from a business perspective. What are the things then I'm, what are the issues maybe I'm chewing over? And, and I try to write that out a little bit. And then um, that helps me get a good perspective. And then I spend a few minutes reading whatever book, sort of productivity book or life hack book, those kinds of things. I love those kinds of books. We love them too. And so, <laughs> yes, yes. In fact, I'm reading right now, I'm reading um, Jen Sincero's You Are a Badass. Have you guys read that one? No, but it was actually, I was, I thought that that would be an excellent book for me to put on my Kindle to read while pumping. Because <laughs> so I need a little more like a pep talk. So I actually was going to, how is it? Is it good? It's really good. And I have to say, I didn't, I wasn't super interested. It felt for a long time because I didn't really know. It felt like maybe because I read so many of these kinds of books, I felt kind of like, oh, I'm not sure I really need this one. This 
book is fantastic. The way way that she writes about um, concepts that, yes, have been written about before, for sure. It's been really like, I just have a light bulb moment after light bulb moment. So I'm finishing that up right now. And I highly recommend it. I'm getting ready to go into her next book, which is, I think you're a badass with money. Yes. And so love that, but just getting that few minutes. And again, I'm only reading a, a chapter, which is maybe five minutes. It's a really small period of time that I'm taking for that particular kind of reading, but it just plants a little idea in my brain that I can chew on in the back of my mind or access during the day. So I just, it's kind of like, just, it, it sets me up to be in the right mental state, uh, to proceed through my day the way that I, I want to. And then at 845, I go do a, my workout. And so, and this is an example from a work perspective, lots of my teammates do exactly this, where we kind of get into the day a little bit. And then I have a friend who takes a break and runs for an hour. I have a friend who takes a break and goes to a yoga class. I have, you know, so lots of us kind of do this where we're, we get into the day and then get our workout in. Some people do it later in the day. I do it about 8.45. I do three days a week of yoga and I do three days a week of cardio and that mix has been super effective for me. I was doing all yoga for a while. And I just found that for me, that, that the hardcore sweat of cardio was something that I needed at least a couple days a week, but then the yoga was something that I needed too. So that combination has been really, really effective for me. So I do about a half hour to 45 minutes of a workout. Then I grab an apple and a second cup of coffee and I go to my desk and Usually I do mostly meetings in that, that block from, you know, breakfast to lunch. I do, I have most of my meetings scheduled. I break for lunch, watch a little bit of TV, and then I'm back at my desk about a half hour later and my afternoons, I try to save for quiet uh, work that takes more concentration. And so I always have a second or a third and maybe even fourth cup of coffee during that block because I need it. And then I wrap up around five and I put my phone completely away. Like I literally put it at the other side of the house on the charger where I can't see it or hear it because I'm very tempted (laughs) if I don't, if I don't do that. And so I will, I put it completely away from five to seven. We're doing dinner, homework, take Jackson to karate, that kind of thing. You go to karate and without then, the phone? I do. No, I take the phone to karate. <laughs> All right, let's be honest here. <laughs> you did. You're absolutely, I do take Good the phone to karate. But that's, you know, during that time, yeah, he's he's doing his thing. So he's good to go. Although I have lately been trying to actually read, if I go, if, you know, when I go to karate, read a book, like a fiction book that I'm, that, you know, instead of being on my phone, I'm probably only successful about half the time, but I'm working on it. And then we, you know, seven o'clock Jackson goes to bed. He reads for about a half hour while I take a shower. And then, um, I try to spend seven to eight o'clock kind of taking a shower, reading a book that I want to be reading, getting a little bit of time completely on my own. And then at eight, join up with my husband and There might be a little more work at that time of day for me. I don't expect it of my staff, but a lot of times I do some more work at that time of day. And uh, then my husband and I go to bed about 1030. So do it all again the next day. 
Sounds good. We we love the detailed schedule. We're we're all about the detailed <laughs> schedule. Because you can always learn. You can always learn something, even if your day looks very different. Like it's a nice reminder and an inspiration to just shove your phone completely out of sight during some window. I think many of us want to do that and then struggle. But I like your hard cutoffs, except for karate. <laughs> except, exactly. Exactly. It is. It's a struggle for sure to not feel like oh I just. I just want to check because there was that one email I wanted to see if that person got back to me. That kind of, it's a really, really big struggle. And I have to say, I, it is not easy for me to do. And there's some days I'm there and I'm more successful than others, but that's something that I try, especially during that one block to be really good about it. Yeah. So just pivoting a little bit to advice for, for our listeners, you know, we have a lot of people who are, who are in management or aspire to be in, would, would like to be able to allow people who work with them to work flexibly, maybe work remotely and all that. How, how could you sort of dip your toe into water if you're, especially if you're in a more traditional company culture and then suddenly you're in management, how, how can you make that work? Absolutely. I think that again, what we did that was the most successful in moving us to where we are right now is taking it really slow. So what I would say is if you have, if you're a manager and you have members of your team who've expressed that this would something this would be something that they would love to do. I would say first of all, you have to make sure does your gut tell you that you can that this would be a good move for that person, for that person's work. If it's sometimes there are different kinds of work that simply, I mean I know Sarah, you fall into this category, that just can't be done at home. Mostly. <laughs> Mostly. You know, it's exactly. funny. No, because actually there's a lot of moves towards more telemedicine and you never know. My job may not be as in person 10 years from now as it is now. But yes, you're right. There are some constraints. Exactly. And, and, and then, and I think that's one kind of issue. But then the other issue is if your gut tells you that that particular person something about it is niggling at you that maybe that, you know, it's not right for that particular person. Then I think as a manager, you have to really, really listen to your gut and think about why am I having that thought? Because ideally you want to have people on your team that you know, that even if you're not looking, they're going to be doing a really good job. So I'm just, you know, taking a really close look at that, I think is a good idea just from a team health perspective. Once you've decided that both the work would be okay from home or some, you know, some portion of it and that the person is someone who you feel could handle it, then I would say, dip, just like you said, dip your toe in the water. Let them start with an afternoon. Maybe you just say, you know what, let's try Friday afternoon. Let's see how that works. And then maybe they expand to all day Friday and then they expand to Wednesday and Friday. This is exactly how we did it at Here Comes the Guide. And just slowly over time, as we felt, as we saw that results were not only as good, they were better when we were working from home. We were able to get more concentrated work, more done in a period of time than we were in our physical office. Then it becomes a lot easier to expand that both, you know, with an individual person and then across teams, because then you can see your results and you can feel really good about, yes, this is, this is not only working, we're thriving in this way. So I think it just has to be something, if it's where you want to go, you just have to make a plan and slowly execute on Why that do you plan. think you were more productive uh, in, in this setup? Oh, I mean, there's no question that if you, when you're together in an office, at least I'll just speak for our office, 
there, it becomes a lot easier to, to spend the five or 10 minutes kind of chatting about this or that. Whereas otherwise you'd go straight to your desk and be right back at whatever you're doing. Now, again, it's not to say that I don't encourage that kind of connection, but we found that on the days that we were working from home, we could just zoom through a ton of work compared to when we were actually you know, around other people and the distractions that come with working. We kind of had an open plan office where you can hear a lot. And because a lot of what we do is straight up sales that's on the phone, there was always kind of a hum and you could get a little distracted, you know, by that. And so I think that that was a piece of it. And that really goes to kind of one of my platforms about, you know, managing remote teams or one of the soapbox issues for me is that I, I mean, we found that there is just absolutely no question that even if my team is working eight hours a day compared to other teams, especially, you know, we're, we're very close to Silicon Valley here where this expectation is, you know, 60, 70, 80 hours of work. I will put my team up against any team as far as how much they can get done in eight hours. Now, I don't know if it's because the vast majority of us are moms. And so we're super used to having to be like, okay, I'm going to power through this and I'm going to power through that. But they get so much done in that eight hours and then come back fresh the next day. So it's a system that works really well for our company. That's great. And it it seems like it's working for you if you put in your notes here that you have an almost 0% turnover rate. We do. We're super, that's, that's actually a metric that we're super, super proud of. And it's, you know, a lot of that has to do with the culture, no question, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's pretty awesome to have a job where it's portable, right? You can go, your husband, we have a couple of people who work for me whose husbands are in the military and then just jobs in general change when they know that they can pick up and they can go to, you know, almost anywhere and continue to do their job. It just makes it just makes a lot of sense. It's a huge benefit. I mean, that's that's amazing. Just that guarantee. I mean, why would you want to leave? If you're happy and you have that degree of portability and flexibility, I can see why you have that that statistic. That's amazing. Anything else, Sarah, you wanted to yeah. throw in there? Um, no. Well, I will say that I am a longtime Penelope Loves List <laughs> reader, and I'm sad that it's not really being, I don't think, unless it's still exists and it just doesn't come to my feedly. Any plans to resurrect that? Am I missing something? Are you still writing there? No, you know what? You're totally right. And I, it's one of those things where I don't want to say that we're never going to resurrect Penelope Loves List. Right now, we're, we're so concentrated on growing Here Comes the Guide and, and doing a lot of really fun and interesting things there that we have kind of had to, had to turn down Penelope for now. But I love it. And I'm definitely not willing to say that at some point we, we won't find a way to either wrap it into what we're already doing or, you know, have it um, continue to be its own thing. I, I still do. I love, I absolutely love it. So maybe someday. Well, our listeners can check out your archives, if nothing else. Well, there's a so lot Meredith, of stuff. We do a, a section at the end here where we all, we do our love of the weeks. So they, they don't have to be profound. They can be pretty uh, mundane. And mine is definitely mundane this week. Um, so we'll have you share yours in a minute, but mine is Purell. Um, because we are, we are hand sanitizer addicts around here, which, you know, it, the getting the kids in the habit of putting the hand sanitizer on when they come home or when they've been out doing whatever, it's been a winter of a lot of crud going around. Um, as, as Meredith knows, given the number of her employees who are at, have, have sick kids at home with them. Um, so anything we can do to fight that is just awesome. So yay Purell. Sarah, how about you? 
Yes. Yay, Jarrell. Um, well, since we opened this with my first day back at work, I will give a love and a hate to my Spectra S2 breast pump. People have asked me, you know, which one do I use? Do I like it? They are all terrible, I think, <laughs> compared to a baby. But this is the best one that I've used. And I've used the like industrial rent rented symphony and I've used a pump and style. And this one is a little quieter and seems to suck a little better. So yay, love hate to my Spectra S2. Awesome. What about you, Meredith? Oh gosh, can yes. I do two? Yeah. Okay. All right. So I mean so the number one thing that I thought of as soon as you said that was I, I talked about the fact that I do yoga. The only reason that I'm able to do that three times a week is because I do it at home. And so I have to give my love to the YouTube channel Yoga with Adrian. She is so awesome. She's absolutely introduced me to yoga and helped me to develop my home practice in a way that's been really beneficial to me. So I have to give a shout out to Yoga with Adrian. And then I read a book recently that I loved so much that I just have to share it. And it's called The Castle of Water. And it's by Dane Hucklebridge, I believe is the author's name, but it's a um, stranded on a deserted island. Like literally there's a plane crash and these two people survive and they're stranded literally on a deserted island for an extended period of time. It's a man and a woman. And I won't say anything more about that, but it is just one of the best books I've read in a really, really long time. It's not super long, absolutely a page turner, but it's really beautiful and it speaks to larger issues and all the good stuff and all the feelings. So I definitely have to give a love to the Castle of Water. All right. We'll post put that on, awesome. on my list. We're on it. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Meredith. We really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you. I have absolutely loved it. Our Q&A for the week comes from a listener um, who I think wrote in to Laura. Um, This is someone who um, I'm going to read a bit of her question. She's 33 years old and she says, I'm considering the idea of taking the LSAT and applying to law school. My kids are 11, 8, and 4, so I'm past the baby stages. She's currently making a good salary as a paralegal and enjoys her job. But she says, I'm ready for a new challenge. I have two choices. Be the best paralegal I can be and seek new opportunities as they come, or halt life for a season in order to attend law school, after which I will be a late 30-something lawyer in a sea of candidates 10 years younger than me. Should I start down this path toward law school, or should I find contentment where I'm at? That is a tough tough question. question. I was sort of framed as, am I too old for law school, (laughs) as I think the title she put on this email, Um, which no, I don't think anyone's ever too old for law school, but, um, you know, obviously... the question of whether to go back to school is a huge one for for people and um, particularly something that can be sort of all consuming like like law school or professional school in general could be um, quite a commitment. So I wrote back to her a couple of things. I mean, first, one thing that's important to understand is this woman had um, done really well in college. Like she graduated summa cum laude, but she said she just wanted to be a stay-at-home mom coming out of college. She got married. She had uh, three children relatively you know, early. She um, had been working two mornings a week as a legal secretary. And then she decided that she could incorporate work into her life. And so she um, started you know, a job as a paralegal. She caught up basically with other people around her age. Like she was really gung-ho about it, loving her job. So this question is that she's around lawyers all the time and sees that she'd kind of like to have the professional career that they have. So 
question is, should she start now? And I think the, the better question to be asking is, before you go to law school, is do you want to be a lawyer? or otherwise want to be something that absolutely requires a law degree. And the question for that is, as you look at both the lawyers you work with and the ones you meet through your other interactions, does their day-to-day life look like the life you want? And the reason I'm asking this is because for whatever reason, the legal profession, we're going we're gonna to have some future guests who are lawyers. We've had past ones who love law. It's just, I know that a lot of people um, have gone into law partly because they're watching like Law and Order or something like that. And then the reality of it is is different. And there's the whole billable hour thing, which a lot of people really dislike. It, it happens to be a, field, be a field where a lot of people decide later that it's not really what they wanted to do. So I think the first thing to make sure is that you know exactly what your day-to-day will look like and that that is the life you want um, before you make this investment of time. If it's more that you want a more professional career, um, there are lots of other ways into that. I mean, one, you could just apply for jobs. Um, you know, you've got a college degree, so see, what, you know, great work history, see what you can do. You know, there might be things like getting an MBA would be a shorter process, for instance. Um, and many of those are, are very doable online, um, you know, or at least a sort of small in-classroom commitment and, and more online coursework. And, and then, you know, you have a professional career options with, with the MBA. But if you look at it and say, yeah, you know, I, this is, I really truly want to be a practicing lawyer. I love what they do. I love what the lawyers around me do. I think I could do well in this um, and would enjoy it. Then sure, go for it. Um, and I think, you know, there are ways to make it work with family life for anything that a, a parent truly wants to do. What, I mean, what would you say, Sarah? Yeah, I mean, to me, I, I I have to sort of contrast it with what I know about medicine and really three years of school and then being able to market yourself at least hope. I mean, I don't know what the job market looks like for lawyers, but even if she couldn't find her dream job, assuming that she did um, very well in law school, which I think this woman has a very good chance of doing, I would think that she could find something. Three years is pretty good. I mean, <laughs> coming from the medical perspective where it's, you know, to get a job actually practicing medicine, it's four years of med school, three years of residency. If you're not doing a specialty in which you're usually not treated particularly well, then three more years of a specialty or even more. The, the three years to me sounds like, oh, yeah, that's like a, it's like a pretty good deal. I mean, I agree just to make sure that you do want that day-to-day life as a lawyer. And it's not about looking around you and saying, huh, I could do that too. Cause I mean, there is a temptation to that. I, I hear that from some nurse practitioners that like sometimes they feel tempted. They feel like they could do what the other doctors do and their job is not treated with as much respect so that that tempts them to want to get the extra, you know, education. But at the end of the day, you have to actually do the math in terms of time and money, whether that would actually be worth it. And I would say in an older, like nurse practitioner or PA, it may not be worth it. If, if they're younger and they have tons of years to practice ahead of them, then, then it may be. So yeah, I, I think that if this is financially doable and you do want the life of a lawyer, three years doesn't sound too terrible. And I also would encourage, you know, again, depending on the finances, look into grants and scholarships and, the, and a not terribly expensive private law school if you can, as long as you know that you could still get career opportunities there. Because I do think that, you know, it may be tempted to go for a big name, but saddling yourself with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt um, would be pretty daunting Yeah, at that I, I would also stage say, in life. I, I, she, she 
put her option as halt life for a season in order to attend law school. So I don't know that you would actually have to halt for a season. Well, you can't. Yeah, I mean, well, it's <laughs> true. She's got three kids, life. so she can't halt life for a season. I mean, there's, you're still going to have those three kids um, through the, the time of law school. You know, there may be sort of uh, ways to go slightly quicker through um, – I mean, I don't. A lot of traditional law schools, obviously, you're not going in the summer. You're working at a firm in the summer, which is a way to earn money too. Like, right? If you could, you could pay for part of your law school with, you know, your summer jobs, and you could also, uh, but or or maybe it's possible to go through classwork quicker if you worked and did classwork in the summers um, too. Maybe you'd be able to get through it faster. I would say, you know, my my husband went through law school. I mean, back when he was in his twenties, so it's not like you know a, a Recent. Not recent in any way, but by living very frugally and then, you know, taking the money he earned from his summer stents, because um, summer legal jobs, I think, pay reasonably well. Um, and then, you know, he was paying off his loans within one year afterwards, because again, you know, you, having this law degree, you can then earn a fairly good salary coming out in, in not just in the legal world. I mean, he, he wound up working for a consulting firm, but sort of similar you know, level. So he was, he was debt free by a year afterwards. So, I mean, you know, even the finances could in theory work themselves out um, relatively quickly. Um, but, and I think you probably want to run those numbers, very carefully. draw up some models. Yes, Definitely exactly. Run those numbers. Um, and, you know, if you're, family's on board with it, um, great. Um, you know, I think obviously if the family isn't on board with it, that's a entirely different matter. But hopefully, best of all worlds here, they're, the children will be inspired uh, by seeing mom tackle her coursework, lo- learn good study habits from her, um, learn the importance of education from seeing her go through it as well. So, you know, upsides to it. Um, but obviously, she has to figure out what works for her. Well, this has been Best of Both Worlds. We've been talking with Meredith Monday Schwartz. Uh, on how to be a good boss. Lots of career topics in, in this one. Uh, so we're looking forward to uh, next week where we'll be talking more about making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time. For more on making work and life work together. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. 
Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.